Well, that's the world's shortest roll-in right there. And welcome to week number one of a five-part series. I'm glad that you're here. As I think about my life, the whole Christmas dare thing, um, I, I think about growing up, uh, I grew up in the woods, um, in, in a house, a little a house in the woods, just outside of Little Rock, and I absolutely loved it. We were outside a lot, and um, because, you know, the only video games we had, you know, that Atari, that brown one with the black joysticks and the orange button, wasn't enough to keep us inside. So we were outside all the time, and I, we did dumb things. Whoever came up with the idea usually wouldn't be the one uh, they would uh, get to test it on someone else. You know, they'd basically dare them to do it. And so one of the ideas, please don't try this at home. Not a great idea. Um, in the winter, one winter, I just remember we uh, were like, I wonder what it feels like to get shot with a BB gun. And so we put on our, our winter coats, had our winter coats on, and um, we would go a few paces out, and we would take turns shooting each other in the back. Um, wanted to protect our eyes, of course. <laughs> shooting each other in the back with a BB gun. And it being cold, you know, it, mostly our coats took care of it, and it was nice and wonderful, not so bad. But, you know, if you've seen the movie uh, Christmas Story, you know he wanted that Red Rider. Well, I had one of those, um, and it was maybe the world's most terrible BB gun, um, perhaps. And you had to, if you were going to shoot something, you had to arch it because it wasn't going to get there. You know, you had to kind of send it up and then let it descend and hit something. And um, so when it came my turn to be shot, um, someone was using my gun, my gun, which was the worst of all three of our guns, and they didn't know you had to arch it. And so they aimed for the center of my back, and this was a cold day in the winter, Christmas break, and um, they didn't arch it. They aimed right for the middle of my back. Well, that means it was going to do its thing, and it was going to descend and it did, just dropped right below my coat, where so I didn't get hit in the coat like the other guys got hit, straight on the booty. And boy, did that really pop and, and hurt <laughs> in the middle of the winter. But that's the thing about doing dumb things like that. You, you don't have to go first. You can dare somebody else to go first. And that's the way we did it. Whoever came up with the idea, they usually didn't have to go first. So we had this other idea, and I, I don't know whose idea it was, but I know I wasn't first. And we found a tree, there was a, a sapling, but it all the size of, of my, my thigh. It, so it wasn't a, a sapling, but it also was not a really old tree. And so um, one of us had to shimmy up that tree, whoever was first anyway, had to shimmy up that tree and to, to the point that it started to dip a little bit. And then the other two, one got on the shoulders of the other one, and they would grab, once it got far enough, they would grab the end of that tree and then hop down, and together, both of them would pull that tree all the way down as far as they could, and the person would shimmy down as far as they could without falling off, and right about that time, they were going to be kind of too far to fall off, then that's the time we would yell, pull, and of course, we let go of the tree, and it would go, shoo, with the kid on the end, shoo, 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 shoo. Oh, it was glorious. So much fun. And once we saw that it was safe, <laughs> then the other two got to do it too, and I was one of the other two. So it was kind of a dare thing. You, you know, you, and here's what I found out about myself later in life looking back at that. Um, we want them to go first, right? <laughs> the Christmas dare, you go first. <laughs> we want them to go first. We might not want to do it, 
we're not sure, but if we watch you do it, and if things kind of turn out okay for you, then, well, maybe we know it's safe for us, and we'll do it too. Deep down inside, I, I don't want to suffer any consequences, and I don't want to get hurt. I would rather you get hurt, not me, not me. And the truth is, I guess I could just boil it down to this. I'm selfish, you know. I, I don't want to get hurt. I, I want things the way I want them, and I want them basically when I want them. No one had to teach me that. I came by that naturally, you know. Aren't we all a little bit like that? Don't we all, on some level live lives that are a little bit selfish. I mean, many of us, most of us, I would probably say we work really hard every day to have things go the way that we want them to go. And when someone messes that up, well, then we've got a problem. But we're not alone. You know, we look all around us, really basically everywhere around us, and that's what we see. Many, many people who are saying, my way, I want it my way, and, and saying, what's in it for me? In fact, we all have a tendency to become the center of our own universe. And then the problem is compounded. So let me pause here for just a moment. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're speaking to everyone, but we're going to use a specific example of students right now, okay? So hang tight, students. Buckle any seatbelts that you have available. Don't get up and run out. And parents, buckle those seatbelts too because we know what it's like when we talk about students, the parents are involved. One thing I learned in 17 years of student ministry is this. When a parent comes to you and says, um, what's going on with my student? And you say, do you really want to know? And they say, yeah, I want to know. I mean, really, do, do you really want to know? And they say, yes. Actually, they don't. They don't really want to know. I've found that out. They really don't want to know. And so, so parents, hang tight. We're going to talk. But listen, we're going to go all the way back. I'm not going to leave you alone, students. I'm going to put myself in there with you. Basically, anyone who has grown up in the 80s all the way through today. And this is kind of what I have seen, and it has compounded year after year after year after year. But it starts out when we're young. And here's what I have basically seen. And I'm just going to give you a summary, just a snapshot here. We're not, we don't have time to break this down. I just want to give you a snapshot. Often for students, and really we see it all the way back to the 80s, all the way through to today, so we're not even really talking about the baby boomers. We might be able to include you in some of the, I don't know. Let's just talk, let's go with my generation, 80s through today. Often for students, as they are students, they have too much free time. And we have seen this increasing. Now listen, I had a job really basically starting when I was in the fifth grade, and I've worked ever since. But even then, I'll be honest, even with a job, I had too much free time. So we see in the lives of students too much free time added to that with too few responsibilities. And add to that, 
And I, students, you're going to hate this. I know you're going to hate this, but just hang on. Hang on. Add to that too much money. And that has created those three things together, too much free time, too few responsibilities, and too much money in the lives of students. Now, we're really talking about people who grew up in the 80s all the way through here to today. That has created a world that has so easily become a world that revolves around that student. And we carry that into adulthood. Now, all of this self-focus, it comes with a price. And here's the price. It is impossible, impossible to have a genuine relationship with a self-absorbed individual. Let me say that again. It is impossible for you to have a relationship, a genuine relationship with a self-absorbed individual. And most of us, as I say that, in your mind you're thinking, yeah, that's true. You know that to be true. Because many of us have tried, you have tried to have a relationship with a self-absorbed person, and you have tried and tried and tried, and that relationship didn't work. It ended, and it ended badly, and it ended with you experiencing great pain. You have found that to be true for many of us. Now, James, we're going to the first century now, James, he was the brother of Jesus, and he unwraps this concept for us. And he makes it really, really clear why many of us have relationships that break. Now let's talk about this. James gives it to us here in James chapter 4. Here's verse 1. He says, what is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? And now he answers it. Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? See, we have a tendency in our lives to point and say it's that person's fault and that person's fault and it's that person's fault, that person. And we point them out. It's their fault. They are the problem. They are the reason. The problem is out there. And we blame them. Or we blame the circumstances around us. It's this reason, this reason, this reason. But then we blame them because we say, and they're the reason that I have these circumstances. It's them, it's them, it's them, it's them. Now, if you would, just practice something with me. If you feel comfortable in here this morning, and, and if you don't want to do this, it's just fine. It's okay. But if you will, do this. Point, point to me. Point at me. All right? Yeah, you, you point at me. And now turn your palm up. Now, you've got one finger pointing at me, but you've got some pointing where? At you, right? And in most cases, not true for all of us, in most cases, there's one pointing that way and three pointing this way. And James is saying, you know, we've got this backwards. No, 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 it's not that way. It's actually in the opposite direction. It's this way. It's not out there, it is in here. And he answers that in verse 2. He says, you want what you don't have, 
So you scheme and you kill to get it. Now, you know, he may be in some situations talking about people who really do kill. But I know this. I know this. If we have not killed a person to get it, I do know this. We have killed relationships to get what we want. We have done that. And James is saying the root of all relational conflict is really pretty simple. Somebody is not getting his or her own way. Now, when getting my way becomes my preoccupation, when it becomes my focus, I have really set myself up for some relational trouble, some relational distress. Because as long as my focus is me first, Harley first, I want my way, it's just a very short time until I run into another person who puts themselves first, and the result, James says, is always the same. It's described as quarrels and fights. And that may not be a public fight. You may just be fighting on the inside. But it's a quarrel and a fight. And here's what James has to say about that. He says, you are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So, he says, you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Probably you have never started a war, but we have sure had wars in our relationships, right? He says, when we don't get what we want, what is that? What is it that we don't get that I want? And James basically is saying, here it is. We just don't get our way. I want things my way. And God is telling us that the root of our relationship problems is this. We get mad when we don't get our way. We, we like to think that we fight for the underdog. You know? We like to think that we're crusading for what is right. But most often, what we fight for and what we crusade for really is just what we want. Let me give you an example. In football, when LSU is playing, who do I want to win? Whoever is playing LSU. I mean, every time. I don't care. They're the under. They're going in as the underdog. I want that underdog to win. And it's not really because I want them to win. My real reason is I want LSU to lose. That's what I want. I want them to lose. And I may cheer for that underdog. I may, as best I can, crusade for that underdog. But my real purpose is that LSU lose. Now, we also have a tendency, some of us, to do that in relationships and in life in general. Sometimes, not all of us certainly, but sometimes so many of us, we root for the underdog. We fight for a cause, for somebody's rights, but what we often want is not so much their rights or for that person to win. So often we're just wanting that person to lose or that group to lose or that organization 
to lose, to bring them down a few notches, to knock them off their high horse. We want them down to know what it feels like to be down. We want them to feel that. And that is all selfish reasoning, pretending to be really good by fighting for the underdog. We don't all do that, but that is a tendency for many of us. Self-centeredness is something that can never, ever be satisfied. We never get to the point in our lives where we can say, ah, finally, 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 I have everything just the way I want it, and I have it all in just the right amounts and at just the right time. Wow, it's perfect. No, it is never satisfied. Self-centeredness is actually an appetite, and the more we feed it, the bigger and the hungrier it gets. The brilliant mind of C.S. Lewis, he describes it this way. Dustin will have it on the screen for you. It says, an appetite grows by indulgence. In other words, the more you feed it, the more it grows. And he says, starving men may think much about food, but so do gluttons. You see, self-centeredness is never, ever, finally and completely satisfied. With self-centeredness, the more it gets, the more it wants. And James says, ultimately... When we are self-centered, he says, ultimately, we're looking in the wrong places. James says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. So ultimately, James is saying, you know, we can point out all we want, but really what's happening is there's something happening on the inside. This is not a them problem. No, 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 no. He says, this is really a spiritual problem problem on the inside of us. You know, no one can ultimately make us happy. And no one outside here of me or you can ultimately meet all of your needs. So if we are asking a person and making them responsible for our happiness or making them responsible to meet my needs, then we are asking them to be God. And that sounds like a recipe for disaster, for disappointment. We're asking that person to do what only God can do. And you say, okay, okay, Harley, listen, back off my toes, quit stepping on my feet, I'm getting blisters, they're starting to bleed, back off, big fella. You say, okay, Harley, but listen, I ask God for some things, some things I really wanted, and I did take it to God, and it didn't happen. God didn't come through for me. James is ahead of us. Here's what he says in verse 3. He says, and even when you ask, talking about asking God, you don't get it, he said, because your motives are all wrong. James is saying our motives, it's something, again, on the inside that is out of order with our request that we're making of God. 
on the inside. It's in here. James is saying self-centered requests are not really important to God. James says part of the problem is, and here's what he says, you want only what will give you pleasure. In other words, they are self-centered requests. You see, the problem is, I'm still, even in my request to God, I'm still more interested in me and getting what I want. Even in my relationship with God. I'm trying to get God to do what I want. And you say, but Harley, listen, I needed that that I was asking of God. I needed that. I needed that bill to get paid. I really wanted and needed what I asked for. Okay. Now, I, I can't analyze that. I, I, I don't know the situation. Um, and I don't know from where I am in my life, and, and you haven't maybe shared that with me, so I don't have an inside look into that, into your life. So let's do something together for just a moment. Let's, let's zoom out for just a moment. So Dustin's going to help us here. We're going to zoom out. So here comes our picture. And it maybe the computer's crashed. Has it crashed? There we go. So there we are, right there. Hang, hang tight right there. We're going to take kind of a full life perspective, Okay life perspective. Um, and I'm going to ask everyone to play along. Don't holler out any numbers or anything. I'm going to kind of keep a conservative running uh, total up here. And, but you kind of add up for you as we go, just so you can kind of see. And, and hopefully you can see that I, I am being conservative. So let's just kind of take a quick little poll here. Let's add up some dollar figures. And we're going to add up here uh, how much clothes. So you kind of look at yours, and I'm going to kind of just give some rough estimates. So let's start with our shoes. Look at your shoes. Let's just say that those shoes cost $20, all right? And maybe the pants and the underwear you've got, maybe another $20. And then maybe your shirt, let's say maybe $10 for a shirt. And let's say if you have a belt on, required for me, <laughs> if <laughs> for pragmatic reasons, <laughs> Uh, belt, let's just say that's $10. And so you add all that up, that's $60. And, and I'm going to assume, let's assume that maybe you have at least three days worth of clothes so that you have to wash by the end of the third day. Let's just say that. Now, when I was in college, I planned it out so I had three weeks worth of clothes. I washed one time every three weeks. I literally filled my car with clothes took it to the laundromat, and I filled every available washer, and then I used as few dryers as possible at 10 cents every 10 minutes. I didn't, you know, I, I crammed it all, and nothing ever got really dry. But beside the point. That was three weeks' worth of clothes. Let's just assume that we at least have three days' worth of clothes. So if we're wearing about $60 in clothes, then let's say times that by three for three days, that's $180. So Dustin's got, got it on the screen for us, $180. 
Now let's add up some jewelry. Again, let's be very conservative. So maybe you have a wedding ring or engagement ring or some kind of jewelry that you own. Let's just say you've got $100 worth of jewelry. So let's take that. Let's say you wear glasses, maybe $100 for glasses. You, maybe you've got a watch on, let's say $30 for a watch. And that's another, together those items, $230. So we add that to our total. That's now $410. Thank you, Dustin. $410. We're adding it up. Now, let's see. You've got some other things, probably a video game system at home. That's probably about $300. You've got a phone, a cell phone. We're going to say conservatively, maybe $500. Yours may have been $1,000. Yours may have been $300. let us say about $500. You've got a phone plan, and you add up those payments to that phone plan all year long. Probably that's about $1,200 a year. And let's also add just a TV. You probably have a TV in the house, and so we'll say that's $300. And there's cable. Um, you got to have you, you have probably internet, maybe Netflix, Amazon Prime, you got maybe Disney Plus, Hulu, some of those things. And let's say all of those things together, Netflix, internet, um, cable, let's say that's $200 a month, okay, which would be $2,400 a year. We take all of that and add it to our total, and now our total has gone to $5,110. Now, you drove here. Now, you say, but I don't have a car. I didn't drive. I rode with somebody. Okay, well, let's put it in this. Let's at least understand it from these terms. You benefited from someone else paying this. So, in a sense, you have access to it. So, it kind of goes on to your account. Okay, let's say that. So, let's say you drove here. There's a car payment or someone paid that payment. It's about $400 a month, let's say. There's car insurance, maybe about $100 a month. So, Together, car payment, car insurance, that's about $6,000 a year. And oh yes, you do have some place to live. And you say, but I live with somebody. Well, again, you're benefiting from that money. And that money probably, let's say your rent, let's be conservative, maybe about $500 a month. You're in actually some kind of uh, a house or home that has walls and a ceiling and some kind of floor. You don't have a dirt floor. You have a flooring there, some kind of flooring. So let's say $500 a month there. So uh, over the course of a year, about $6,000. Again, we're being pretty conservative, so there's 6000 And let's say you've got a wallet or a purse, and inside of that, very, very possibly you've got a credit card. You've got someone who is saying to you with that little piece of plastic card, I will loan you immediately, right now, at an instant, this moment, I'll loan you at least $1,000. And so you have access to a line of credit, maybe about $1,000. If we add those all together and add that to our total, our total now very, very conservatively is $18,110 in expenses for 2019. And we haven't even added really everything. We're going to stop there. But we haven't added in any Popeyes or any McDonald's or Wendy's or Burger King. We haven't added in any coffee at $3 a cup from specialty coffee places. We haven't added in any groceries, which we all buy. And for some of us, we haven't added in any tobacco. No sonic drinks. We haven't added those in. No doctor's visits, dentist visits, no movies that you go to see, no concerts that you've seen. We don't add any of that. We haven't even added in gas for your car or electricity for your home. 
We haven't added in any new gun purchases or anything like that. No toys for the kids. We haven't added in any baseball leagues or football leagues or softball leagues. We haven't added in any of that. We're just going to take that small conservative number of about $18,110. And we're going to say that's what we have. Now let's zoom way out, Dustin. Let's go way out. So there's Arkansas. But let's go out a little bit further, Dustin. Take us further. Let's see. That's North America. That's not far enough. Let's go, let's go further than that. Great. Right there. We're going to stop there. The world. Almost half of the world. That is over 3 billion with a B billion people, three billion people live on less than $2.50 a day. Almost half of the world's population. And at least 80%. So the vast majority of the world's population of all humanity in existence living today, the vast majority, 80%, live on less than $10 a day. And they look at our, what we feel poor, at $18,110. They look at that. And that makes us in the top 20% of the entire world among the wealthiest people, the wealthiest 20% of the world that makes us. And we say, but God, I really wanted that and you didn't make it happen. God, I really needed that bill to be paid. God, I really didn't need my car to break down now. And I think that James and all of those who have gone before us holler from the sidelines, You're rich! You're wealthy! What are you complaining about? I think they holler at us to lift our eyes off of our lives, off of our circumstances, off of ourselves, and look around. And James told us in verse 3, even when we do ask, we don't get it because our motives are all wrong. We want what only will give us pleasure will give us pleasure. And I know that is harsh. That is harsh on me too. And James, what he is saying here is harsh. But maybe it takes a harsh wake-up call to even begin the process of getting our eyes off of ourselves. 
where all of our culture around us says, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay to look out for yourself and to place yourself first because no one else is going to look out for you. No one else will. James is telling us that it all boils down to this, that the root of our conflict is this. We just don't get what we want. And the more that we feed ourselves, the more we want. And James says, that is ultimately a spiritual problem. So this week, our Christmas dare for this week, I dare you, will you ask God to begin a change in you, in your family, a change in your children, but most importantly, in you over the course of this month? And I double dog dare you. Don't don't miss a week of this series. Let's pray. Father, my eyes have spent so much time on me. My focus has all too often been on what I want. And I have bought what the culture has sold me, a lie that says that this life is about me. And I've done this for so long now, so long. I'm going to have a fight on my hands, God, a fight within me, within myself. Father, help me to change this. Help me to look past what I want. Help me to lift my eyes up and onto you. And, and then on to wherever you want me to place my eyes. Jesus, help me start that today. And Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen.